Hello, my friends. Paul White here. Thanks for joining me for the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 18th day of September. We're in Mark chapter 15. We arrive at verse 42, and we're going to be introduced in verse 43 to yet another character at the foot of the cross. Now, when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We, we have a very clear, about as clear as it can be in verse 42, that we are the day before the Sabbath. Now, there's been a lot of argument over whether Jesus died on a Thursday or a Friday. Most of church history is pretty much settled because of Mark 15, 42 and the subsequent verses in the Gospels, that Jesus dies the day before the Sabbath which would be Friday, some versions even, um, I think some of the Persian versions of the Bible even have this text saying he died on the evening of the sixth day, which would be, of course, Friday night because the seventh day is Saturday, Saturday is the Sabbath, and we know that Jesus is out of the tomb Sunday morning. That caused a lot of problems for people who try to do the three days, three nights that Jesus is in the heart of the earth, but you just have to understand how Israel accounted the day and the night. Any portion of a day was considered a whole day. The phrase day and night, three days, three nights, is to indicate full days or to indicate fullness. Um, in fact, when Jesus says, I'll be in the I'll be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, he's using three days and three nights as a reference point that he will really die which is a phrase used in Jonah, and as I used in my book, Greater Than Jonah, a phrase used in other literature of Jonah's day to indicate that someone had actually died was the phrase three days and three nights. And so that's what Jesus is referencing in that reference. And so I don't want to get stuck there. I wanted to throw that in. It's necessary to say what I'm really on my way to do is to get to Joseph of Arimathea. I want you to realize that in verse 42... They need to get Jesus down off the cross because for Israel, the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night. They need this activity. All the work that goes with this needs to be done before the evening goes down. It needs to be done before approximately 6 o'clock. So Joseph of Arimathea becomes the next character introduced in verse 43. Mark says he's a prominent council member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We don't know a lot about Joseph of Arimathea, although by the Middle Ages he becomes quite a a character. I'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about what we do know. Matthew 27 describes him as a rich man and describes him as a disciple. We know he's not part of the Twelve, but he's obviously a follower of Jesus in some respects. Here in Mark 15, Uh, He's a prominent council member. Some translations, depending on your translation, will call him a respected member. And Luke's version of the story says that he had not consented to the decision to kill Jesus. So there was a dissenting vote among the council members. And according to Luke, that dissenting vote, or at least one, was Joseph of Arimathea. John includes him as well. This is one of those characters that appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John's version, John 19, when he hears, when Joseph of Arimathea hears about Jesus' death, 
he asks Pilate if he can take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gives him permission, which is going to happen in Mark. John just kind of condenses his version down. Joseph puts Jesus in a shroud, takes him down from Golgotha, and according to John 19, Joseph then teams up with Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus from John 3, and they take the body of Christ, wrap it in linen, put spice, myrrh, aloe, and then in Luke 23, the women who had come from Galilee prepare spices and ointments, and they put Jesus' body in the tomb. That's That tomb portion leads us to what has often been believed to be a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Joseph's role is by many seen to be the rich man of Isaiah 53. Uh, Isaiah 53, 9 talks about he's assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had no violence and no deceit was in his mouth. The Septuagint, I will give the wicked for his burial and the rich for his death. And so a lot of Christianity has placed Joseph of Arimathea as the one whom, by giving Jesus his tomb, fulfills the Isaiah 53 prophecy. As for Arimathea, we don't we don't know anything because Arimathea is not documented anywhere else as being a place. Luke calls it a town of Judea. Uh, it's possible that it's one of those words that is being compressed to encompass something else. Scholars have sort of landed on the possibility of Rama in Judah. Uh, a town sometimes in literature called Ramathim Zophim. And this is a little, a little spot about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Its place in Bible history is that it's where David visits Samuel in 1 Samuel 19 when he's fleeing from Saul and uh, then doesn't show up again. If that's the same town, doesn't show up again until Joseph of Arimathea. Medieval Christianity sort of latched on to Joseph of Arimathea. Um, They claimed Joseph as the father, sort of the founder of British Christianity, even before it had taken hold in Rome. And then in sort of a a fantastical um, fiction, historical fiction narrative, if you've ever heard the story of the Holy Grail, Joseph of Arimathea was taught to be the protector of the Holy Grail. I bring this stuff up because we're studying the Bible and these are things that have so entered the collective consciousness of people that they often think they're in the Bible. The truth is they're not. Joseph of Arimathea as the founder of Christianity in Britannia, not biblical, doesn't mean it's not true. Joseph of Arimathea as the holder of the Holy Grail, not biblical, doesn't mean it's not true, although I don't know that the New Testament would put too great a shine on calling the cup Jesus drank at the Last Supper a Holy Grail. Um, in any case, that that's where those stories derive. Uh, for today, uh, we're going to stop with, with him at Pilate who marvels. We'll get into why Pilate marvels about it tomorrow, and we'll finish chapter 15. At least that's my goal tomorrow. I close today with the thought that he's waiting for the kingdom of God. Um, that Mark doesn't hint that there's disappointment there. It's not as if Joseph has been waiting for the kingdom, but now he's depressed. Um, So it's hard to say whether Joseph understood what had just occurred, but he does want to provide a burial place for the body of Jesus, being that concerned. And that's because people that died on crosses 
were not afforded burial. They were taken off of the cross and dumped in Gehenna, the, the place where the worm dies not and the fire burns forever. Joseph is going to make a press to keep Jesus from going into Gehenna because that's the place where strangers are buried. So if nothing else, putting him in a tomb affords the possibility of a resurrection in a greater way. And maybe that's what Joseph is thinking as well as he anticipates the kingdom of God. We'll visit Pilate with Joseph tomorrow. See you then. God bless.